This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys, and I have a special guest on the line. It's Pamela Geller. How you doing, Pamela? Very well, thank you, Billy. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I know you've had a crazy uh, month and a half. So many things have happened, and I, you know, I've just been intrigued watching your response and how you've interacted on CNN, on Fox, um, in in all the interviews that you've been in discussing this issue. And I guess that the biggest question I have going into this is how has your life changed before uh, the Garland cartoon contest shooting versus after in the last month and a half? Well, clearly the security apparatus has changed. In the past, Whenever I held events, whether it was the Freedom of Speech Congress on September 11th, 2012, where uh, our embassies, interestingly enough, were being burned and attacked, um, uh, we, we'd always have security. Ground Zero mosque protests, always have security. Our CPAC events, always have security. But now the security is 24-hour. It's enormously expensive. It changes your entire life. You can't do anything. You can't go anywhere without an army. So that's the most obvious change. Do you have to have people at your house with you? I mean, is this something where there are always sort of people around you at all times? Always. I mean, look, that's clearly the downside. This is the price of freedom in America 2015 for, you know, you know, showing a little cartoon. I mean, that's how bad things are. On the other hand... As terrible as this, these episodes, and we're talking about two deadly assassination attempts inside of four weeks, uh, at least people are talking about it, even though the media is, you know, bullying and, you know, enforcing their cowardice on others. Uh, the American people uh, will not be cowed. I see it in the thousands of emails I get every day, and I think they were completely unaware that uh, the media was enforcing, imposing the Sharia by scrubbing news stories of the jihadic motivation and the jihadic doctrine, not showing the cartoons. And this particular cartoon is so innocuous. I mean, the Hebdo cartoons were, were racy, were obscene, were pornographic, and yet the European media ran them after the Hebdo jihad slaughter. Um, the American media did not run this little cartoon, and so who would have ever thought that America would be more cowardly than the Europeans? Uh, you, you can't make this stuff up. Now, I know, and I know that you get this question all the time, and I know it's one of those that you probably, you know, roll your eyes out at and it frustrates you. You know, a lot of people will say, well, Pamela Geller is just out there trying to provoke people, trying to upset people, to make a name for herself. You know, what's your direct response to that critique? And I know you've answered it before, but, I mean, it continues to come. People saying, well, why does she have to do this? She knows what the end result is going to be. How do you respond to that? Well, uh, trying to make a name for myself uh, by making myself the number one target of ISIS, it's, it's absurd. It, it's ridiculous. I'm standing for my unalienable rights, my First Amendment rights. I didn't make the cartoon the flashpoint. The jihadists made the cartoon the flashpoint. Uh, my, my position is not provocative. Slaughtering cartoonists is provocative. It's, it's Kafkaesque. I mean, we're living in an Orwellian world. Um, I will not abridge my freedom so as not to offend savages 
Who would believe that 14 years after 9-11, where 3,000 Americans were, were, were slaughtered, I literally jumped out of buildings because the alternative was worse, that we would be arguing about offending uh, savages, offending the very ideology behind the 9-11 attacks. Nobody ever wants to talk about it. That's why we got to the place we are now. I mean, look at the letters. <coughs> Read the letters that the 19 Muslim terrorists left behind. Allah is mentioned over 90 times. 90. And I'm the problem? I, I, I don't think so. Well, one of the things that I think is interesting, I know the New York Times has done a profile on you in the past. Others have too. But I think a lot of people don't know about your background. And, and I've been interested to know... And I guess before we even get there, one of the other questions that popped in my head that I've had is how do your family members and those closest to you feel about your work and feel about the latest issues that have happened? You know, I know you have kids. I know, obviously, like no, everyone else, you have family. I won't, uh, no, won't talk about my family. Okay. No, no. I, was, I, was, I won't continue with this interview. Oh, no, no problem. I absolutely understand. I was curious as just as to how people reacted closest to you. Not, I wasn't going to go into specifics about no, family uh, members. Look, my supporters, I'm surrounded by supporters. I mean, this is elemental. The First Amendment is elemental, and it's crystal clear. And any compromise between good and evil, evil profits. Uh, what's next? If you give up your right to show a cartoon um, or to, to, to uh, depict Muhammad, you're asking me to respect... Muhammad, he's, first of all, the media always calls him the Prophet Muhammad. I never hear them call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. I mean, they're not Muslims. I don't understand why they do that. It's an implied, it's more implied Sharia. Muhammad slaughtered an entire tribe of Jews, the Karaiza tribe. They, he beheaded 800 Jewish men and children and took the women as slaves. Don't tell me that I have to respect that. I, I, I don't, and I won't. And I don't live in a Muslim country, and I don't live under the Sharia. And that's what's being required of me. I'm not behaving in accordance with the Sharia. And so my question to the media is, wasn't Foley enough for you? He was a reporter. They chopped off his head. You know, do you have no scruples at all? No ethics at all? You're imbued with these rights given to the press by the Constitution, and you're using it to advance a, a vicious and brutal ideological agenda. It's shocking to me. Well, and, and I think one of the things that a lot of people, and I've noticed this in interviews that people have confronted you and asked you on, is the difference between you know being anti-extremist and anti-Islam. And you know the comments that you made about Muhammad, a lot of people... You know, there's a lot of debate about all that. How do you differentiate the two, and where do you see yourself when it comes to being, you know, anti-extremist versus anti-Islam? Well, I never said, I, you know, um, I was anti-Muslim. That is the smear and the libel that the media uh, labels me so as to, you know, smear me so that you kill the messenger. Uh, the idea that I'm anti-Muslim, I oppose jihad and I oppose Sharia. I do not believe that every Muslim supports jihad. Or, or the Sharia, and when the media calls me anti-Muslim, anti that's what they're saying. They're saying that all Muslims support the Jihad and the Sharia. Sounds to me like they're the Islamophobes, not me. I don't care if you worship a stone. Just don't stone me with it. 
Jewish law uh, pertains only to Jews. Canon law pertains only to, to Christians. But the Sharia, Islamic law, Sharia is Islamic law, pertains, you know, asserts its authority over non-Muslims, which is why you see the wholesale slaughter of Christians across the Middle East and Africa. Uh, you know, so clearly if I am being provocative, Christians in the Middle East are being provocative because they're Christians. You know, I want to talk about the little Jewish kids in Toulouse in France that were slaughtered by a devout Muslim at a Jewish day school. He went in and opened fire on Jewish children, killing three and the headmaster. Now, were they being provocative by being Jews? Were the Jews at... at um, the kosher deli, the, the supermarket hypercasher in Paris being provocative and insightful by being Jews? Were they responsible for the, the slaughter? It, 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 this is ludicrous. Well, like, okay, it's so <clears throat> one of the things that you had you had said before, and I think we, we sort of live in this society where there's these labels that get put on people all the time. And so, you know, and we see this, and, you know, there's political correctness and all that. You know, you made a comment before about Muhammad, and there are certain things in history that, you know, it, there, it's, a, it's a hard line sometimes between talking about things that have happened in history, and when you do that, being labeled based on that. You know, do you think there's a conflict between saying that Muhammad did certain things? Does that make you, I guess, does that make you anti-Islam if you say Muhammad did this, or Muhammad did that? Because I think that's what happens. People will hear you or other people say something, and then they immediately say, well, that's anti-Islam because you've because you brought something up that you claim had happened. You see what I'm saying? No, I brought something up because you're demanding that I adhere to Islamic law. That, that is what is being, that, that's the implied demand. And I'm saying, you're telling me to respect something that I don't respect. Now, I, I live in America. You can worship whatever you want. But once you try to impose your belief system on me, this is where I draw the line. And I will defy you. Absolutely. Do you feel, I mean, I would imagine, and I know that there was a very candid interview that you did last week where you said, you know, that there was fear and that you couldn't, you can't deny that there's fear, that I think anybody would be scared. You know, you've, you've stood up, you've said, this is what I stand for, this is what I'm going to do, and there have been threats because of that. Is that something that has gotten a little easier in the past, you know, days and weeks, or, or is that fear still sort of there for you? Because th there are very real threats, as we've seen. Um, against you. Listen, I won't live in fear, okay? I'm more afraid of doing nothing. That's scarier to me. Uh, the idea that uh, I have to live with um, uh, security is, well, that's a reality. Uh, they, you know, last month, uh, two devout Muslims drove 1,000 miles to open fire on hundreds of Americans on American soil standing for the First Amendment. And, uh, again, if the media was responsible in any way, they would be talking about the positive developments that came out of the Garland. The fact that, uh, one, these jihadists were planning for months, and so they would have targeted something else, a softer target. I know what I'm dealing with. It's why I always have security at my events, but they, they might have hit a mall. We don't know. I believe that lives were saved. In addition, we smoked out a terror cell, and they, the, the law enforcement and the FBI gleaned an enormous amount from their computers. 
And we took down two terrorists that meant to kill Americans. Uh, the media never discusses uh, the positive developments. Military were alerted. High-profile terror suspects were being surveilled in American cities. Mer uh, the military raised uh, the threat level to Bravo. I wouldn't be surprised if the jihadists in Boston were under that 24-hour surveillance because of Garland. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting, That's, that's counter-terror. That's counter-terror. But again, the media doesn't discuss this at all. You hear Aaron Burnett say two people were killed. No, two jihadists that meant to mass murder Americans were taken down. That's what happened. Well, you know, we did a story at The Blaze about the Associated Press headline, which I'm sure you, you saw, that, that basically said that your event ended in two people's deaths. But it didn't specify in the headline who the two people were um, who had died. And I think that is... You know, there, there's definitely, the media have a hard time with religion to begin with. And so this is like an extra level of them having a hard time. And, you know, and I'm a reporter and I say this, you know, there, there are difficulties in understanding faith. And I think specifically there there are difficulties in how they cover extremism. And let, let me just go into your background a little bit because over the years, I mean, you've become a, a very prevalent voice in, in this arena what were you doing before this? And what I guess what was it that motivated you to start speaking, to start writing, and to become an activist? Well, I was a quintessential New York career girl. I loved my life. I loved my job. I loved my art. I loved my fashion. I assumed my freedom. I never for one moment ever suspected or worried that it could be taken away from me. I felt that the good guys won. We were in a post-historical age. Uh, you know, we defeated evil, you know, and we were, we were the good cop on the beat. But 9-11 uh, changed all that. Uh, it shattered uh, this premise that was, frankly, quite false. Your freedom is not free, and it is not guaranteed, and you cannot assume it. And so on 9-11... Um, watching from a dock the towers burn, I, I just, I was, uh, you know, devastated. I was astonished. I didn't know who had attacked my country. And when I found out, I, I, I felt guilty that I didn't know more about who had attacked the country. And I began studying uh, and reading Ibn Warwick and, and, and Robert Spencer and Bacheor and I began to understand the jihadic doctrine and was increasingly drawn to the net because the media was either obfuscating or completely omitting the motive and the ideology behind this war. And so that was really how it started. I would comment on various blogs, websites, jihad websites, until one commenter sent me a template for a blog and said, you know, you should blog. And I'm like, what's blogging? And they're like, just shut up and write. And that's really how it started. Atlas Shrugged started in 2000, end of 2004, early 2005. And all of the work, all of the activism, whether it's the bus campaigns, whether it's the conferences, whether it's the protests, um, have come as a result of the mothership, the mothership being Atlas Shrugs. And it's only gotten worse, uh, meaning in terms of the uh, obfuscation on behalf of the media, the complete... Uh, you know, deceptive curriculums on the universities and now in the public schools where they're literally proselytizing for Islam in, in public schools, teaching the Shahada, teaching the seven pillars of Islam. And uh, so I feel that our work is ever more necessary and, and, and needed. What do you think the, 
What do you think, I mean, you've talked a lot about the media and, and just a lot of people not knowing, I mean, even you yourself on 9-11, not really knowing at that time, what do you think drives people's, and I don't want to use the word ignorance because I think people are busy and they don't know, but what do you think drives this um, lack of awareness about some of these issues? Well, the media is aligned with the jihad force. There is no reasonable explanation that, you know, uh, 14 years after 9-11, that they are, you know, in the tank uh, for Islamic apologists and Islamic supremacists. They have enormous research capabilities. I'm one person. Uh, it's not rocket science. Read the Quran. I mean, it's in there. And uh, Muhammad's quotes, I've been made victorious through terror. I mean, you know, this is not, it's not a secret. Why are they doing that? Well, the media is notoriously leftist, and they have always aligned with whatever totalitarian ideology there is of the day. If I, this was 100 years ago, you know, you, Durante at the New York Times, you know, being a spokesperson and a cheerleader for Stalin. Um, the National Socialist Workers' Party was the Nazi Party. They love control. At the end of the day, these are all different cloaks, but the, it, it, the essential battle, the eternal battle, is individualism versus statism. That's the battle. So if it was communism, is statism. Nazism was statism. Islam is statism. There's no unique soul in Islam, and so there's no separation between mosque and state versus the individual. And, of course, what's so terribly ironic is that America, the United States of America, was the first moral government in the, in, in the history of man based on individual rights, based on individualism. And, uh, you know, everything noble and just and brilliant we achieved as a nation was a logical fidelity to that principle. When people talk about, oh, American exceptionalism, and President Obama says, well, I believe in as much as I believe in British exceptionalism and French is exceptional. No, there is a thing called America. There is a thing, a real thing, American exceptionalism. And what is it? Is it? It's individual exceptionalism. It is the exaltation of the individual. And uh, we've seemed to have lost that. We, you know, it, it's just, it's a, it's a battle, the individual versus the state. It's, it's, it's a very real battle. And I'll tell you, at this point, the state is winning. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're fighting for, you know. And that's, you know, freedom of speech is, is the basic fundamental uh, element in this fight. Because without it, then uh, the group that you are not allowed to oppose can you know will be absolutely uh, tyrannical because you can't oppose it. Have this you, is the reason why the First Amendment is the First Amendment. Have you always been more? I mean, was there a time in your life because you? I mean, you mentioned being a New Yorker. I mean, this I, I live outside of New York too. This is this is an area that tends to be more left of center. Was there ever a time where you aligned yourself more sort of left of center before all of this, before nine eleven? Well, I guess you could say I was always more of a, a social liberal, although certainly not fiscal. I was not a fiscal liberal. But, you know, 9-11 really was, well, unambiguous, and that we weren't allowed to talk about the ideology behind it. Look, freedom of speech is the foundation of a free society. Without it, a tyrant 
can wreak havoc unopposed while his opponents are silenced. This is this is what is lost in, in, in the national conversation. Putting up with being offended is essential in a pluralistic society where people may differ on basic truths. But if a group will not bear being offended without resorting to violence, that group will rule unopposed while everyone else lives in fear. Well, other groups curtail their activities to appease this particular violent group. And this results in the violent group being able to tyrannize others. Is that really what America is signing on for? I don't think so. I think that the media is imposing the Sharia without being given the proxy uh, by the American people. If the American people vote for the Sharia and say we want this, that's one thing. Then I'll have to move. But, you know, that has not happened. That has not happened. And, and, and this is the this is why we have to have this conversation. Speech well, that is offensive to some must not be pr- curtailed, but protected. The First Amendment protects all speech, but particularly ideas that we don't like, because then who would decide what's good and what's forbidden? ISIS, if you, care, the government, who? If you had, if you had a chance, you know, to to say something, and maybe maybe you feel like you said it, but. If you had a chance to say something to help people who maybe don't understand you and what you're trying to do to maybe help dispel what you feel are myths or things that are not true about you, what would you say just to the public to try to help them understand what what is the work you're trying to do? The Muhammad cartoons are a flashpoint in this discussion about free speech because according to Islamic law, they are blasphemy, punishable by death. Many have been killed over them. And at issue is whether we will protect those who draw them or exhibit them and thereby protect free speech and a free society. Or we censor ourselves and others, uh, thereby in effect adopting the Sharia. That's the question. Inoffensive speech needs no protection. And the First Amendment was developed precisely in order to protect speech that was offensive. In order to prevent those who had power from claiming they were offended by speech opposing them and silencing the powerless. And so it's really not about, per se, a cartoon. It's about freedom of speech versus the Sharia. And what side do you come down on? Because, you know, once you give up on this point, you will be made to reinforce your submission again and again and again. And where are people going to draw the line? I think this is very basic, very elemental, very easy to understand. Well, and you've had people like Megyn Kelly really um, support you, and you've had people like Chris Cuomo not really support you very much. And you've gone on, you've gone on there a couple times now and gone back and forth with him, which I find, which I found interesting. And I think the conversations were really good. The two of you should have like your own show where you just debate each other on this because I think, I think it's interesting, but. <laughs> But leaving those conversations... Well, kudos, you know, even though I disagree with him, I mean, you know, he tweeted out that hate speech is not protected under the First Amendment, which is just a ridiculous, ridiculous statement. Uh, To his credit, he was the first uh, host that would sit down and talk to me. You know, where, uh, you know, although, no, don't get me wrong, Hannity has always had me on. It's always in a debate, and it's 30 seconds, sort of Muhammad Ali up against, okay, who, who's in the ring today, Sean, <laughs> type of thing. But this was an opportunity to express my ideas, not an ambush, where they have, you know, terror groups like Care on spewing lies, libel and lies, 
and then it just becomes about 30 seconds of deconstructing a lie. No, this is a discussion that the American people need to have. We've seen Europe is basically doomed. It's basically given up. Uh, they, they, you know, France will uh, uh, try to, you know, apply a Band-Aid by saying, you know, no facial, no face veils. And then if they try to enforce it, it becomes violent and so on and so forth. But America needs to have this discussion. America has to have this discussion. Now, Bill O'Reilly has not had you on, correct? Have, have you ever done yeah. his show? Uh, the only time I did Bill O'Reilly was when he had Nihad Awad, who is the um, founder of the uh, Hamas front group, UAE-designated terror group, CARE, on to issue basically a fatwa on my head. And, you know, Bill O'Reilly said, I'll take care of that woman, you know, uh, sounding like Ted almost. And uh, he had me on to, you know, refute the fatwa. Um, and, it, you know, it was typically a belligerent, but in that case, uh, he did have me on at the request of my book publisher. But other than that, and that was in 2010, other than that, no. And, and he's wrong on this. He's wrong to say that, you know, we're trying to, you know, form alliances with the, um, you know, with, with, with more moderate nations like Egypt and Jordan. First of all, you know, it was Sisi, the president of Egypt, that said that, Islam is violent and needs a reform, that we're slaughtering people all over the world. So, and Obama is opposing him and supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. So really, clearly, Bill O'Reilly is ignorant of what's going on in Egypt. And why should America have to abridge our freedoms in accordance with the Sharia to make a coalition? Why can't they accept the fact that we are free? And this is what we do in our country. You honor killing your country, Jordan, and you give lenient sentences to honor killings? Okay, well, we don't, and we're free, and that's what we do. I mean, O'Reilly was, was dead wrong. Dead wrong. My last question for you, because you've given me a lot of time here. What, what comes next for you? What is the next event? What is the, and I don't know how much you want to share, but I, you know, what's sort of the next move for you and your organization? We will continue to do the work that we do. We will continue to fight. Right now, we are posting billboards with the winning drawing by former Muslim Bosch Forston across the South. We'll move into other cities under the headline, Support Free Speech. And we will continue to uh, fiercely defend our freedoms. Have those billboards been put up already? Yeah. Oh, wow. They are okay. in uh, St. Louis now. They are in uh, various counties of Arkansas. They will be dotting the American landscape like little lights, lights <laughs> on a hill. And have you had a reaction to that? Has, has there been a negative reaction at all to any of those? Well, I just want to, you know, kudos to the Baxter Bulletin uh, who, put the, uh, who put the Muhammad ad on the front page of their newspaper. They're the first. They're the first American newspaper to, to run the, uh, the, the Muhammad drawing. And I think it is fitting that it comes out of not the notoriously elitist New York or, you know, uh, West Coast media, but a uh, small-town newspaper like the Baxter Bulletin. Kudos. Well, small listen, America, small town America. Listen, uh, Pamela, I really appreciate you taking the time, as always, to, uh, to chat with us today. Thank you for having me, Billy. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
church boy.